0: The following podcast is a production of Commercial Investment Real Estate Magazine, the official publication of CCIM Institute. For more on the latest trends, best practices, and continuing education in all areas of the industry, visit our website at ccim.com and sign up for our education e-newsletter. Welcome to another episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. I'm Nicholas Leiter, senior content editor of the magazine. In this episode, I spoke with Bob Whistlow, chairman and CEO of Parkside Realty, a boutique real estate venture in Chicago. He discusses the firm's Fulton East development, an office and retail building in a booming work-live play area in Chicago's West Loop, and how the property leverages technology to address public health and employee safety concerns. He also highlights aspects of downtown markets to help ensure cities rebound from COVID-19. First of all, Bob, welcome to Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast, and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me on today, Nick. I I look forward to our conversation. Yeah, and and I think starting off, um, a lot of the headlines these days are focused on the the Delta variant and the resurgence of COVID numbers. Um, With the increasing concern of uh, these rising numbers of cases, um, a lot of firms have changed their plans for returning to the office can you kind of set the stage of where we're at right now and, and what you're hearing from, from office tenants as they kind of either scrap plans or modify plans to return to the office? Well, to start off with, I haven't heard about anybody scrapping plans,
1: uh, but, but we have heard of some of our tenants delaying plans. You know, we have some tenants who have been increasing the number of people coming to the office consistently. Um, and in fact, more people in our Evanston building than in our Chicago buildings. But Both have been building up uh, there, but there are definitely some of the tenants who have said that they're pushed back their early September uh, back to work date till sometime later in the year, Uh, some indefinite uh, and one or two, you know, all the way back until November.
0: Do you hear a lot of I'm assuming that it's a step by step, a gradual return to the office and nobody's really, you know, racing to go to go to a full time, you know, five days a week, all the employees back in.
1: Everything we've seen so far has been a gradual return. We certainly saw a, a significant increase the week before Labor Day. Uh, frankly, surprised me a little bit. I think it was people just coming in to make sure they were ready to come in after Labor Day. Um, and uh, so we did see that increase. But yes, uh, it is a step-by-step approach. Um, and, you know, I, I think that I think nobody knows the answer to this, Nick. Uh, everybody is predicting or guessing what it's going to be. People are predicting a large amount of people work from home. People are predicting hybrid work styles and what that means, but everybody's definition of it is different. Uh, I think there are very few companies that have really made a decision on how they're going to react to this, what life is going to be like in the workplace going forward. Uh, I think everybody is uh, is actually going to wait for people to start coming back um, see how they react to the changes that have been made in the office, and learn from that. Uh, you know, about fifteen years ago, we went through a period of time where a couple of firms experimented with work from home and about how good that would be. And those people reversed those decisions within about eighteen months, uh, and because they saw productivity declines. This is a different period. Zoom has, uh, and the other types of of um, web web based Um, uh, uh, video type uh, um, programs have uh, made it a little bit different. But I am hearing from more and more execs who are somewhat frustrated and are putting out mandates for people to be back, mandates for people to be vaccinated. Uh, Every day you see somebody new uh, coming up with another mandate. Uh, United Airlines just uh, changed its mandate uh, pushed it more forward for vaccinations uh, and made a decision that um, people who are avoiding for some you know reason that in the past might have been acceptable uh, aren't going to be employed for a long period of time so you know we're seeing this change and and morph every week uh, it, it, you know i think we just have to see where
0: it's going yeah, that's right. If we have learned anything in the past eighteen months, it's that flexibility is crucial, considering how things change from day to day. Uh, when you speak with decision makers about bringing people back to the office, what are you hearing from these individuals in you know what they're doing and how they are attempting to get a, that buzz back in the office environment? Well,
1: you know, I'm getting different opinions. Largely, what I'm hearing is we don't know where it's going to be yet. And we need another 18 to 24 months to really understand it. I think that's one of the more honest answers that I've been hearing from people. Um, but there are people who um, either we deal with or who are friends who run businesses who have just said, everybody's coming back. And, you know, if if 18 months from now they don't want to be in the office, then they don't need to work with us. So um, I'm hearing much more leaning Towards that, in what I'm hearing in conversation, than what I'm seeing in print, and I think everybody's cautious about what they're putting in print because they don't know how their employees are going to react to it. You know, we're in a period of time where there is, is a significant labor shortage, and, and nobody wants to lose their labor force. I uh, and you know things if if they can continue to run their operation as they are now, uh, they're satisfied doing that. But I think in the long run, uh, that is not the way it's going to go. I mean, when you hear people like, you know, Jamie Dimon um, saying how frustrated he is with the productivity that he sees and with the difficulty he has getting somebody on the phone uh, and, you know, made a pretty early declaration that, you know, if you're going to work for us, you're going to come back to work. Uh, I think that may be modified slightly uh, in the future. But I think the people who are on the other side who are experimenting with, letting everybody work from home is also going to be modified in the future. Uh, and I think everything else is guessing in between that. Nick.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, I think um, acknowledging that uncertainty is, is certainly fair considering uh, everything that we've been through. Um, but uh, the Parkside Realty, your firm recently opened the Fulton East uh, development in Chicago. Um, can you quickly just describe this, this live, work, play type project? And and why it uh, it makes sense right now amid a global pandemic.
1: Well, let me clarify that Nice is not a live/work/play project itself. It's in the it's in the heart of Chicago's uh, hottest live/work/play neighborhood. Nice is an office building with retail at the base, but we are mm-hmm. completely surrounded uh, by restaurants, retail, hotels, rental apartments, and condominiums. Um, I think that is the real future to the work-life today. Uh, you know, we have blended together our live, work, and play lives. People want those integrated. As a matter of fact, with Fulton East, uh, when we did the lobby of our building, rather than doing what we've done in all our buildings up until now, where we would create a lobby with similarities to a peninsula or a four-season hotel, you know, really high-end concierge lobbies in our buildings, um, in this particular case, we hired Holly Hunt, uh, you know, a wonderful residential uh, designer, interior decorator, um, to do our lobby. It's our first commercial lobby, but we felt like we had to be more residential in nature because there is this merging and blending between the residential life and the work life. You know, people bring their dogs to work. People work all hours of the day and night. They work on weekends. They want access whatever they need the access. And- they want to be able to walk out of their building and get within walking distance of the places they want to eat, the places they want to shop, where they live, where they go work out, where they play. Um, and and that's what the Fulton East area, the, the Fulton market area is. And that's why I think the Fulton market area is one area that is continuing to do leases through this whole pandemic. I mean, our activity for the last Three months has been increasing continually uh, as to tours. I think I just finished a tour this morning, uh, got another tour tomorrow. We had a tour on Tuesday. Uh, you know, we're doing three to four, sometimes five tours a week. Um, some of our other buildings aren't seeing that level of activity uh, in in the same way. And I think it's because people want to be in that environment where uh, it is possible to walk to work, uh, an environment where there are um, smaller more scalable buildings, so that it is possible to be able to get on an elevator where there's only three or four people on the elevator allowed, and be able to get down for lunch and back for lunch, uh, and you know not have to wait 15 minutes to come up and 15 minutes to go down. So I think that uh, kind of atmosphere, those size buildings that are in the Fulton Market area, the ability to be able to have um, such uh, an array of places to be able to walk to, um, and such an easy ability to be able to get to work are the areas that, not just in Chicago, but everywhere, um, are, is where the action is today.
0: Uh, yeah, that sounds like the goal is to keep all the best parts about living in the city while reducing the hassles. Uh, right now, people might be less likely to ride public transportation, for instance, but even you know that may become more feasible if we can reduce the number of COVID cases.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that has been true for a while. Um, Metro's numbers are coming up, and Metro, I think, has figured out how to deal with this. Uh, and the CTA's numbers, from what I have seen, are definitely coming up. People are getting more comfortable with it. Uh, people in Europe uh, have definitely gotten more comfortable with it um, <clears throat> already. So I, I think that that stigma of the public transportation probably is going to go away. But, um, but I also think that the walk to work, walk to your
0: entertainment uh, is here to stay. Yeah, and, and I think as the situation changes amid COVID, um, were there any you know, key investments you made in the Fulton East development uh, that changed as a result of COVID or that was in response to, to what, um, what tenants were kind of looking for, prospective tenants were looking for?
1: Yeah, there sure were. So we had originally developed the building along the principles of biophobic design of a health and wellness building before there was any dream of a pandemic uh, of oh, uh, smaller, more manageable floor plates of 10,600 square feet so that people had lots of light and air in the space, outdoor spaces on every floor, you know, a large 8,000 square foot garden for all tenants on the roof of the building where, you know, you can grill a hamburger or sit at a fire pit or or move your laptop up to the top of the building. So we had incorporated all of that into the building. When the pandemic hit, we did a really hard pivot. Um, you know, we were fortunate. We had a design build, um, contract between Lamar Johnson collaborative and Clayco, uh, that allowed us to be able to be really flexible and say, Hey guys, we need to slow this down and we need to figure out what we should be doing to address the pandemic. And then we just went into research mode. And we tried to determine what the, the 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 biggest things that we could do we could we could do quickly and we could address with the technology that was available at the time. So you know those things were things like what, do you, what are you going to touch? Where's the touch points in the building where where pathogens could be transmitted most easily? And so one of the first things we addressed was the elevator. We already had. Otis elevators that had a touch screen by Mad Elevator Concepts out of Canada. So it's like an iPad instead of having buttons on the elevator because with our biophilic design, it was very easy to clean by using a sanitary wipe and it allowed you to put, uh, you know, put, uh, we run on the background of that screen uh, underneath the floor indicators, photographs of famous artwork from the Art Institute. So, it was all part of the ethic of the elevator but people still had to touch that screen so we worked with Matt elevator uh, and we were the beta test for the world's first hands-free elevator uh, we installed their toe-to-go system so if you're in the hallway wanting to call an elevator uh, below where the buttons on the wall would normally be there's foot pedals down at the baseboard one for up and one for down that you just touch with your toe and that calls the elevator. And when you get in the elevator, um, all of the floors are indicated by touch pedals at the base of the floor, and you just touch that pedal uh, with your toe, with your shoe, uh, and that takes you to the floor you need to go to. So elevator became hands-free. Uh, you know, one of the, the most contagious point of a building is the elevator buttons, as what we learned in our research. And then, you know, we needed to address air and surface disinfection. What's the best way to do that? And so we looked at bipolar ionization. We looked at UV lights in the ductwork. Um, we had already installed in this building MERV um, 14 filters, uh, which is a step above the normal MERV 12 to 13 that office buildings had, uh, because we were thinking of health and wellness. And we had already installed a separate filter that catches large particles before the MERV 14 filter. So we already had a double filter system, but those filter systems are not enough for the size that viruses are. Um, And we found a product called AirFix. And this AirFix product is a non-thermal plasma system, which brings the air in from the space through the plasma. The plasma drops out Viruses, bacteria, mold spores, and pathogens, and then it emits sanitized air along with a byproduct of 0.4% hydrogen peroxide gas. And that hydrogen peroxide gas at the 0.4% level is below the level that it would bother anybody, even with severe asthma. So it's 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 non-disruptive to humans. But it's it's an incredible cleaning agent, hydrogen peroxide gas. So it cleans not only the air, but it cleans to the surfaces. These machines have historically been used in surgery centers, in hospitals, in surgical areas in hospitals where instruments are cleaned, in dental clinics and places like that. So we installed this throughout the entire building. I think we were the first commercial building to have full installation of an air fix system. And in hospital settings, not in lab settings, it's always easy to play with results in lab settings. But I actually interviewed the hospitals where these were installed in hospital settings. Uh, this removes anywhere from 94 to 98% of all pathogens on surfaces and in the air. Uh, so we installed that throughout the entire building. Uh, so that was the second thing we did. Um, we then were finalizing the, the, the wet washroom construction. We are had already installed Sloan touchless faucets, soap dispensers, and flush valves in the room. But we upgraded to Sloan's Sloan Tech uh, porcelain for the sinks, the urinals, and, and the toilets. And the Sloan Tech is, I believe, the only market, only product on the market where there is a finish baked in with the porcelain that is hydrophobic. And uh, therefore it is antimicrobial and antibacterial. It washes any microbes and, and bacterial down through the drain very quickly because it rejects the water that's on it. So it's a wonderful invention. And then and then we we began researching what we could do with paint. You know, you normally paint a washroom with antibacterial paint. There's lots of antibacterial paints in the market. But we found the Sherwin Williams Paint Company has a product out that's used in hospital type settings called Paint Shield, and Paint Shield is a two coat process uh, that uh, kills on contact, kills viruses and bacteria's within 20 minutes of contact on the painted surface. So we had already painted the walls, but we repainted all of our washroom walls, and it's an application you have to reapply every four years, which we which we will do um so that was one other addition that we made we had a typical key card system where you you know you could either have a card or you could have a fob in your hand and you would touch uh, a contact point and it would you know open the doors from a security system unlock the elevators uh, if they're locked off for the evening etc uh and we found a system called Kisi K I S I which works off your cell phone so it geofences you and it knows when you're getting close to the building. Uh, and then you just hold your cell phone near uh, the lock access and it unlocks the front door of the building for you. And same thing on the elevator. So it t- doesn't touch anything, only in, in your own hands. Um, we um, we created on our rooftop uh, an outdoor presentation meeting area where we can sit up to up to 80 people uh, to give outdoor presentations on, on new screens that we bought that are an assemblage of TV screens that work well in the sunlight. So you can have outdoor meetings and outdoor presentations, product presentations, training sessions, and things along that line. Uh, and then uh, we added a door in our lobby that accesses a stairwell, Uh, that can act as an interconnecting stairwell. It's a stairwell in which we put windows in to the outside. So it's a stairwell that has wonderful light and air and outside view, Um, but it did not access our lobby because we had chose to keep all our stairwells on our emergency stairwells accessing out of the building and and not into the lobby. So we we had to uh, actually retrofit uh, the core of the building um, and cut into the concrete core to create a door because we uh, doorway because we felt that some people may want to walk up and down to their offices rather than uh, take an elevator. So that's some of the things that we did in the building. Um, and you know, from using our air fix machine because it cleanses surfaces as well as cleanses the air, uh, we can spend less money on heavy disinfected cleaning uh, that that we, you know, we had already planned to institute in the building. Uh, and many people are planning to do that as part of the COVID prevention or, you know, uh, any any kind of a virus or bacteria prevention method. Uh, so it also saves on cleaning costs. So we learning more and as we lived with this air fix system, we became so enamored with it that we have now retrofitted all of our buildings in our portfolio to have that system in place. So that's some of the things we did to address COVID. And, you know, we're really not just addressing COVID. Um, and this isn't something that goes away when, when we finally beat COVID, but the reduction in sick days during the flu and cold system of organizations that are installed, these air fix systems is dramatic. So, you know, we'll have this in our buildings running 24 hours a day, all year long in all of our buildings. Uh, and, uh, from what, what, uh, what all the statistics, statistics show, this is going to reduce absenteeism during the cold and flu season as well.
0: Yeah. I think the, the first, uh, the first thought of COVID prevention and, you know, uh, extra precautions is that it's going to be a hassle. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be, you know, another hoop to to jump through versus, um, what it sounds like just ways to modify an elevator or, uh, an office door that, you know, users may enjoy more than they would the, the old system. So, um, I think that's a a good way to, to look at, uh, at the design as, as a plus versus just, um, you know, just something that has to be, to be handled in the age of COVID.
1: Yeah, Nick, I think you can look at it like LEED. You know, when LEED certification started, you know, a few buildings were doing it. And then municipalities started to require some type of sustainability rating in your building. It was looked at as a clumsy mechanism. And, you know, developers looked at it as, well, why do I want to do this? Uh, You wouldn't build a building without LEED certification today. Um, I think it's going to be the same thing with this. Uh, You know, elevators... You know, what we put in was the only thing available in the market at the time for, for the tow to go. I think these systems will get, you know, much more sophisticated, but I think hands-free elevators, you know, it's going to become a mandatory thing in some way. Air purification, I think people are going to want to know the air quality. Uh, you know, when I visited Shanghai, uh, they had air quality monitors in the lobbies of the newest building showing you what the air quality was that day in the building. Um, you know, I think people are going to become very cognizant of that. People will build that into their leases. So I, th- I think all of these things that, that we were just talking about are going to become standard items in buildings going in the future. Um, and I think that's good. It's good that this pandemic has made us more aware of the environment we're in. You know, there's a wonderful book called Healthy Buildings, uh, and it's by two professors, uh, from Harvard. Both had been in the profession, in the real estate profession, before they became college professors. <clears throat> and one of the quotes that they have in the book is that by the time you reach 80 years old, you've spent 75 years inside. And yet people up until now haven't been really worried about air quality in the buildings. What's happened is through lead and sustainability, through energy mandates that happened when we had our energy crisis, uh, you began to seal up your buildings. You began to reduce the amount of turns of air because that was, you know, that was wasting energy uh, from a lead standpoint. You know, how 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 much energy are you using for your heating and cooling of a building? Sealing up the buildings. I think you're going to see the opposite happening. I think you're going to see office buildings that, like our Fulton East building have open space in every floor. We have balconies on every floor of the building where every tenant can get to the outside easily. And in addition to our rooftop, um, you know, I I think that you're going to see air quality monitored in the buildings. I think you're going to see more turns of air. So you bring more fresh air in the building, even though it increases operating costs. It's also going to decrease sick days and increase the health aspect for, for tenants. And I think these are going to be permanent changes that you'll see uh, in our industry,
0: moving forward, yeah, it sounds like uh, like the beginning efforts of making the most of smart buildings. That you're getting all this information, you're getting this data. It's about you know using it as best you can and making uh, making for the best experience for the building's user, um, which is you know in the end is obviously a net positive. Absolutely, and it's more
1: than just making
0: the building smart so you can record it. Uh,
1: it's it's also installing in the buildings the things. That will make the air quality better.
0: And looking at um, at Fulton East being in uh, you know a primary downtown setting, could you um, could you think of any tips or advice for commercial real estate professionals that would maybe looking to replicate such a project or such a type of development in smaller secondary or tertiary markets?
1: I think that in any of those markets, that when you sit down to begin to design your building and you're talking about, you know, efficiency and floor heights and numbers of elevators and level of lighting, I think that you have to put health and wellness right up at the top uh, of the design parameters you're working with. And if the architectural firm you're working with uh, doesn't have uh, the knowledge in that area or the experience in that area, uh, I think that developers should bring in somebody from a consulting basis that can help them think through it from the beginning of the building, because I think this is going to be commonplace, uh, demanded and required. Um, and it's not just new buildings you're building, but, you know, any product that you have, I think you have to be looking at what can I do to retrofit and modernize my building to be able to address health and wellness from an air quality standpoint, as well as from surface contamination standpoint. And I think that's just going to be something necessary in our business.
0: Yeah. And, and you mentioned in, before COVID-19 and, and, um, you know, before anybody was, was really discussing social distancing and there was an emphasis on, on, on sanitation. You mentioned that Fulton East was designed with, um, uh, with a lot of emphasis on the environment and, um, uh, on the the sanitation and the, the cleanliness of the building. Um, you know, what, what brought you guys to that point in, um, in August of
1: 2019, my 44-year partner, Camille Jomi and I started a new business called Parkside Realty. Um, and what we are focusing on going forward is just developing and you know, renovating buildings for our own portfolio. Um, we have one major investor along with us, and the three of us uh, own, operate, manage and lease uh, those buildings for our own portfolio. so we provide all our own services. And we decided that we were going to do more boutique, smaller projects moving forward. They were going to be generational holds. We were really building uh, for our families in the future, long-term hold projects. And we felt that um, what we really wanted to do was focus on the health and wellness. Uh, I had luckily somebody had handed me this this book, Healthy Buildings, which I I suggest that any building owner developer read. Uh, and I began to understand that uh, it was really important. To address these things and that uh, as we move forward, they were going to become very important aspects of anybody who wanted to hold real estate on a long-term basis. So, you know, uh, the determinant was for this new company to focus on the development of healthy buildings. So that's why we, you know, working with Lamar Johnson collaborative architect for the building, um, we looked at, you know, the principles of biophilic design, which, which I'm, I must say were, were new to me. But I learned a tremendous amount about them uh, from from Lamar Johnson's uh, group of, of architects, and we've incorporated that into the building, and we will f- forevermore incorporate it uh, even further in every building that we do, and we will incorporate the the, the things that we added to the building uh, once the pandemic started. Uh, those those will be permanent additions for us, and I think that anybody. Any responsible developer will be doing the same going forward. Uh,
0: That's an important point that if you're designing buildings and developments on a generational timeline, there's more of an appetite for these types of features that may take a while to pay off. Uh, You know, you can reduce employee sick days and improve satisfaction. And I'm not even sure if there's energy savings that that is in the consideration.
1: Yeah, I don't think you actually save on energy. I think it'll cost more more energy to use the buildings that are healthier buildings, but What's the most important thing in a building is the occupants in the building. So if you're making their lives better, if you're reducing sickness and illness, if you're giving them a higher satisfaction level with being at work, if you're making them more productive. Uh, I don't know if I said earlier that the 35-year study on biophilic design indicates that there's uh, on an average an 8% increase in productivity in a biophilically designed building. Part of it is is that you know, there's buildings, there's countries in Europe uh, that require that no, people be no more than X meters away from an exterior view. Uh, and the idea is is that you, you, you don't lose contact with what's happening. Is it raining out? Is it snowing out? Is it a bright, sunny day? You know, you don't lose the ability to have your eyes look in long distance, you know, a view out the windows. Uh, and those things translate into happiness and wellness for the employees and and, and increased productivity. Uh, and the, those are principles that started to go away as we started to get the 30, 40, 50, 60,000 square foot floor plates. Uh, and, you know, some people can be at a desk and not have a view out the window whatsoever. Uh, and, you know, we are, we've decided that for our business, uh, we're going to develop uh, along that biophilic principle and also, along the healthy building principle.
0: Yeah, yeah. I can I can remember past offices that I've I've been in where I, you know, you walk outside at, at four in the afternoon and you have no idea that it was pouring raining for the last two hours. So um <laughs> it's always refreshing to be able to see the sun, um, you know, as you're typing away during the day. Um and you no, know, it in the wake of the pandemic, there's there's a lot of anecdotal evidence, at least, that um that interest in office spaces were gonna uh, was going to flow from, you know, dense downtown areas to the suburban locations. Um, Do you think these types of initiatives can, you know, make the, the downtown Chicago, the downtown New York uh, spaces, um, you know, appealing to to tenants who might be looking at a less dense area?
1: You know, we did see in our suburban, our our Evanston building at 500 Davis seat, we did see a flow of a couple people who were um, office in the city lived in the surrounding area uh, and looked, came and looked at our building and have an office in the area. I think we made a deal with one of them and they were just exploring that area, but they were exploring it because we were walking distance from both Metro and the CTA and their city employees could have easy access to Evanston. So I, I don't see this big shift uh, that people talked about uh, And as a matter of, of fact, what we saw in the last month was a massive inflow of new renters, uh, of residential and condo purchases uh, in the downtown area. Um, so, you know, the idea that everybody's going to move to the suburbs or move to a less dense area. Uh, I think like I talked about what our office is going to look like in the future. uh, I think people who were or are predicting that really need to wait a while to see how it shakes out. But at least in Chicago, uh, you've probably seen, seen the statistics about how um, the the amazing increase in number of units rented uh, in the multifamily and and condo units. So cities, cities, you know, have been here for a long time. They've been the meeting place of, for people. They've been the centers of creativity and innovation. Um, they've grown and grown and grown uh, over time and uh, became more and more attractive. Um, I, I do not think that, you know, we're going to see a major shift away from the cities uh, to the suburbs because of the fear of this pandemic.
0: Yeah. And and as a a lifelong Chicagoan, uh, I'm not going anywhere. So (laughs) if that's a, that's a data point of one. Um, But, uh. well, I'm a data point of two. I'm a lifelong Chicagoan too. But, but it's more than just
1: being a a lifelong Chicagoan. It's just looking from a global standpoint of you, you know, you've just over, you know, millennial of history, uh, cities become those attractive places. It's, so it's where innovation is. It's where creativity is. It's where entertainment is. Uh, it's um, people are social animals. There is no doubt about that, uh, and you know they're looking for places in society where they can flourish and um, be among others who are uh, you know similar to them. So I, I, I just I just do I just think that the the long term life of cities is 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 not going to be. Uh, Changed dramatically from this,
0: yeah. And I, I think um, you know, speaking about the initiatives that you guys have undertaken in your buildings, um, there's no doubt COVID is going to change how we interact with commercial real estate. Um, but I think maybe the the long term implications of you know the death of of uh, of major urban areas might be might be a bit premature.
1: Yeah, and and COVID is going to impact how we interface with everything because it's made us aware of pandemics and made us probably more aware of germs and pathogens than, than we'd been in the past. So it's not just commercial buildings, it's, it's residential buildings, it's public buildings, uh, it's universities, it's educational buildings, it's it's everything. Uh, and, you know, it's something that will just become part of life. And we'll learn how to deal with it. Um, you know, if you if you think about the Asian countries, um, where during the flu season, everybody wears a mask. Um, it's just commonplace. You get on a subway system and, and you wear a mask. Uh, and it, you know, we will learn how to deal with this. We'll learn how to live with it. Uh, and, um, it, you know, it, I, I think that it's not going to have any really serious
0: long-term impact on the urban environment. That's a great place for us to wrap up. Um, it's going to be an ongoing process of learning how to best operate in our office environments, uh, how to best change our behaviors in our living spaces. And these efforts will be great complements to, to some of the technological approaches to improving commercial real estate that you've covered here. Uh, so, Bob, you know, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, and thank you for for speaking with Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast.
1: Well, Nick, thank you for having me on board. I enjoyed the conversation with you and happy to carry it on any time you want further.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. Head to SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Join us next month for a brand new episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast, featuring another leading figure from the world of commercial real estate.